Writer's Block, back in the saddle, proudly presented by Video Armageddon, who will survive and win this year's grand prize of 50,000 smackaroos. Strap on your power glove. Video <laughs> Armageddon, it's so bad. I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Apparent Banjax, and now Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, filmmaker, comic book guy, and uh, drunken reprobate. Love it. If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, Alex DeCampi, and many, many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check it all out. We have a great show for you today. But before we get there, uh, let's do a little pimping, Avalone. you got a book out. Why don't you go first? I've got a book out in August called Elvira Meets Vincent Price. I don't know that it needs more of a pitch than that title. If you dig that, you dig that. If that is not of any interest in you, to you, nothing I tell you about the book will make you want to read it. It's Elvira and Vincent Price. Um, and uh, that's coming in August. So go down to your local comic book store and tell them to order 20,000 copies. If you dig that, you dig that. I think uh, um, we should get some t-shirts made. Uh, yeah, right. the, the, the writer's block. If you dig that, you dig that. Um, I have a book coming out in August uh, also that just hit previews uh, a week or two ago, uh, the June uh, issue. Um, it is called Suicide Jockeys. It is a wild uh, tokusatsu joint. Um, uh, kind of Voltron meets Fast and the Furious. Um, bonkers, crazy fun uh i sort of co-created it with a uh a, a zen monk well we had uh we, we actually had him on a couple of weeks ago uh, named brad warner who uh wrote this uh wicked tome called hardcore zen that everybody uh, knows and loves um but it's cool man it's uh one of the funner books i've uh I've, I've been a part of so uh go down to your lcs and tell me you want it and tell me you want it every uh month um but uh Pimping uh, now done, and aside, let's bring the guests on, because we got good ones this week. Uh, here joining us is Victoria Douglas. And howdy, howdy, howdy. Hello, friends. How are you? Uh, Omar, why don't you tell, him the, tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a comic book writer, and that's it, period, full stop, right? I have no Hollywood aspirations, no Hollywood connections. I'm not trying to be a pro wrestler, a comedian, or anything else. All I want to do is write 22 pages at a time. And, Are you uh, sure that, about the pro wrestling thing? Yeah, Omar. I'm pretty sure, that. man. I'm I'm okay. I'm five six, right? You know, I'm not, I don't same. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I look fantastic in a luchador mask, though. So you know, it's a it's a thing. It helps me. It helps my look. Anyway, I had luchador masks as a kid, and believe me, I, I love pro wrestling. I just don't aspire to be one. I me neither. And Victoria, <laughs> um, so I'm a comic artist from the Midwest, from the Central Ohio area. Um, my new comic, Cinnamon, is coming out with Happy Tank Comics and Behemoth Comics this July. Issue two is in the preview comic, uh, the preview catalog right now. So. Nice. Go down to your LCS and have them order thirty thousand copies. Uh, I'm not going to be. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to be out on me. my laurels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go down and say I want issue one, and now you must order me many, many copies of issue. Two. 
we're 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 selling a shit ton of books this uh, oh, episode. Yeah. This is this is lucrative. We're just yeah, we're just, yeah. here, to, we're just here to move. Can, can I, need something to read. Can, can I ask for forty thousand of? of... <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> keep, keep, nice. keep pushing the outside of that envelope. Um, so we usually start with a topic, and the topic today, as Ryan uh, Ryland uh, alluded to in the beginning, was uh, we've all just been through a thing. And we kind of want to talk about what it was like going through the thing and what are you doing on the other side of the thing to the degree that we are on the other side of the thing, uh, which is still a l- tiny bit of a question. I mean, we're on the yeah. other side of a certain orange thing, and that's a that's a positive. But the <laughs> other the other the lingering after effects of the orange strain uh, and. Uh, I, I, I hear the orange thing is going to be back in uh, in office by August. So, yeah, oh, totally, yeah. totally, yeah. totally. Anyway, uh, this, <laughs> the, the sequel no one asked for. Mm. But Victoria, why don't you kick us off? What? Do you, how was the last year for you? And wow, what'd you get out um, of it? Say, so you met me at a very strange time in my life. Uh, I so I graduated from art school last year. So it, it took 10 years, but I finally got the piece of paper that says I'm allowed to make art. Um, I loved it. I had a great time. It felt like a personal achievement to just kind of get that out of the way. What was the school? Um, the Columbus College of Art and Design in Columbus. Um, An excellent was, place for the Columbus School of Art and Design. It'd be I was, weird to uh, have it somewhere else. <laughs> It's not in Michigan, sorry. Um, hey, hey. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I, I'm not a big fan of Ohio State anyways. Um, oh, good. They're, they're always trashing cars and like flipping cars and stuff. So I'm. Yeah, there's a lot of that couch burning and all sorts of stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I just. And that's when they win or when they lose or both? Both. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I will never understand that. Myself. It's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's been a long time coming, trying to figure it out. And I transferred to the school two years ago, kind of trying to reinvent myself and kind of get back to this. I was, I was really unhappy with like editorial illustration and doing like spot stuff for dentists. And it was just really unsatisfying and I wanted to finish my degree. Um, and so like, I, Loved my time there, and I switched from illustration into comics with, like, absolutely no idea what it would look like post-grad. Um, I, I went to the Small Press Expo in 2019 right before all this happened, and it just kind of, like, shook me up and said, wow, this is what comics can be. I'm going to be a small press micro-publisher, and I'm going to sell at cons. It's going to be the time of my freaking life. Um and then my last con was in January and all hell broke loose. So sure. um, graduating in a pandemic was super funky, um, especially being relatively new to comics. Like I have a few self-published credits and, and a few little things I've done leading up to this. Um, but graduating, it was like, okay, full throttle into who knows what. Um, I was extremely lucky. Um, because my, my senior thesis was a was a single issue comic, mm-hmm. um, and it was this comic titled Cinnamon. It's an action comic about a house cat who has a, a very active imagination. Um, 
and it was just, I had a, I had a blast making it in school and I just kind of threw it out there into the world to see what happened. Um, while I really tried to shift gears into, into like some sort of freelance stability um, and kind of hitching up with Behemoth Comics and then their imprint, Happy Tank. Um, they saw the story, they really liked it, they wanted more of it. Um, and so like, I feel like the pandemic really opened this door um, because if anything, I had time Right, lots of lots of that, um, and so when they said, "Hey, we want you to make more cinnamon," I said, uh, "Yes, absolutely," um, and just kind of put all my eggs in the basket, and I've just been rolling with that ever since. And so, like, it, it was the craziest pivot I've ever had, because like I knew I wanted to be in comics, but really had no like thought of what that would manifest as, um, and then to immediately shift gears into something like cinnamon on a larger scale with um a great publisher i think it's it, it was the hardest thing that could have happened and the best possible thing that could have happened post graduation when i was feeling pretty uncertain about it all sure um it, so it, it's, it's interesting it's interesting to hear i mean you, you know you, you you expressed obviously some i mean you you went through some some challenging things like over the course of the pandemic but it's interesting to hear someone come out and i think like the the main thrust of what you're talking about is that this gave you time and this gave you space to kind of figure out where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do and that is a, that is a very interesting take um <laughs> I, yeah. I i didn't i didn't really have that with this break because I have a four-year-old and, and what, what it mostly meant was that I was stuck at home with a four-year-old and, you know, I, I would work half the time, my wife would work half the time and we wouldn't really see each other. So, so this mm. was tough, but, but I know exactly what you're talking about where, um, you know, the, when, when I was 22, you know, at that point in my life, the hardest thing, well, wasn't the hardest thing, but from a career standpoint, the hardest thing that had happened to me was I didn't get into grad school. I, 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 I thought I was going to get into a film school and I didn't. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I thought my life was over. I thought it was terrible. And, you know, I, I ended up getting into AFI like the next year. And so it didn't end up being that big a deal in terms of that. But mm -hmm. the year off that I had, uh, it, it, it gave me what you're talking about. It gave me all of this space. Like now, I, you know, now I was still moving out to LA, but I had fucking nothing to do out there. Right. <laughs> Um, you yeah. know, I, 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 I thought this year of my life was going to be spent working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you know, in a, in a rigorous film school environment. And now suddenly, you know, I just, you know, I just had time. And, um, in that year I wrote three feature length screenplays and I did some other stuff too, but those feature length screenplays, um, they kind of made me who I am today. They set up my career. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, one ended up on the blacklist and, uh, I had two of them were finalists for the, uh, Academy's Nichols fellowship. Uh, another one won the final draft big break award. And that was ultimately what got me my first agent and my first manager. And that was a script that got passed around town and got me all my first jobs and started me off like, you know, as a film career. So if I get into grad school when I wanted to, when I thought I was supposed to, then I never write those scripts and who knows where the right. fuck I am. You know, I, I mean, they're, 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 you know, I mean, I, I went to, I went to, uh, you know, the American film Institute conservatory, which is, you know, one of the best film schools in the world. It's, it, it, you could argue that it's the best place in the world to study directing. That's what I was doing. Um, I went to school with, there were 30 kids in the directing program or maybe it was 24 or something like that, but 
I was in, you know, I was in a film school. There were all these different disciplines with about 140 kids who were some of the most talented artists I've ever seen in my life. 130 of them are like back in whatever, Pennsylvania selling insurance or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't for lack of talent or, or anything like that. It was just, there's limited opportunity. You need luck. You need all of these things. Right. And, and so, so I look back at that. And so it's, it's interesting to hear that from you. Uh, uh, already having that perspective, meaning like, well, this this gave me room, this gave me space, this kind of made me, this put me on a road that was very positive, and I, I, I love hearing. That. I did not expect to hear that. So well, it's it's really interesting that you bring up grad school and the the missed opportunity of it, because like I I felt like I had a lot of momentum in my undergrad, and it was a fantastic um, illustration program, but they had a brand new comics program that I was like really I, I shifted into that. And, and loved it, but felt like I was coming into it pretty, um, I don't know, like no legs under me. Um, mm -hmm. So I applied to and got into grad school in San Francisco at CCA for their comics MFA. And uh, the faculty there were wonderful. I flew out there right before things locked down um, and said, absolutely, I'm totally gonna do this. Like this is 100% where I wanna be right now. I wanna you know, grow a little bit and take what I learned doing cinnamon and like build something new and then everything locked down and that just kind of went away. And they ended up doing the year online and I could have done it, but I, I, I just kind of passed. I, I didn't wanna, I just finished my undergrad online. It was so deflating. Um, I really didn't want to, so I deferred and, and it's still kind of like, I'll, if I choose to go back, I'm going to try and go back there. But, um, walking away from that was just extremely difficult. Um, but like, it was kind of a purposeful, exactly kind of what you were saying is maybe I just need a hot minute to, to collect myself and then launch in whatever direction. And, uh, maybe it felt really validating that, I mean, the reception to Cinnamon was so phenomenal and I was like self-releasing it, self-hosting it. Um, and now to be making more of that, it feels like maybe I, I'm, I'm moving in a direction I didn't think I'd be moving so quickly. Um, and it really, like, I'm, I'm glad to be getting the industry experience, not just like head knowledge from a, from a book or from an instructor. Um, and so I think Cinnamon really did become my my screenplay gap year um, kind of explosive thing. So I, I I want to eventually go back to grad school, but I, I think I'm quite happy just getting my feet wet and and doing the job for a, for a good bit. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have been on that road if it weren't for the pandemic kind of closing that door for me. So like that's such a weird parallel. Yeah. And and Omar, how was your 2020? It was phenomenal, man. I, I've got no complaints. Um, the pandemic gave me the time to buckle down and start doing some projects that I really wanted to do. Um, I guess most notably, I'll start with, uh, I signed with uh, Scout Comics late late in the year, late mm -hmm. in 2020. And now the fruits of that are, I have a book coming out, The Lunar Ladies. It's a three-issue miniseries. It, you know, the first one drops in July in shops. So go ask your shops for 40,000 copies of Lunar Ladies number one. Mm -hmm. And then another 40,000 each of number two and number three, which will drop, I think, in September and December, if I'm doing the math right. I think Scout likes to gap two months in between issues. Mm -hmm. 
so that was like the kind of the highlight of the year. But but really, what I found myself doing is getting really scrappy and finding out new and different ways of doing business. Um, for example, I found this uh, this Facebook group called Plan C Distribution Group. I don't I don't know if you guys have come across I'm this one on that. Facebook, but it, okay. So it was like independent creators saying, hey, I've got books for sale, I can direct, and then retailers going in and going, yeah, I'll hit you up on that. And so I found about a dozen retailers on there, and I ship books all over the country. You know, free, I send them free copies of number one and said, you know, if you want more, here's the price I can give you. And lo and behold, a handful of them made orders, and that kind of replaced con for me. Uh, cons are not something that I do unless I can drive to it and drive back home at night. Like I never fly to a con and pay for hotel and food and bar and all that. I only do local. Uh, I'm from Oakland, so I just do Northern California uh, cons. So I don't really feel like I was missing out a whole lot because I never travel for cons anyway. And mm-hmm. so the seed distribution group, which was organized by Jen King, I think she runs a retail shop out of Texas, uh, was was great for me, you know. And um, and then I did this other thing with uh, Gail Simone on Twitter, right, right on the heels of um, of you know of all the racial unrest and all the you know the the protesting that was happening, she said, well, let's raise some money for, um, for Black Lives Matter and for the NAACP. So all of you guys that have original artwork and are willing to auction it off, let, let's see how much money we can raise. And so uh, I have a connection to Paul Galassi, who had done a cover for me, the, the first book I ever did, Crusader. And so I did a, an autographed print signed by him and by me, framed, as well as an original Catwoman cover that he did. And I framed that one up, and then I threw in a bunch of other. And I raised like a thousand bucks for Black Matter and NAACP, you know, with with Gail kind of on on the the front end of that, uh, finding people to participate. So it was uh, interesting and fun, man. Like I, I was doing different new things that I hadn't tried before, and finding you know different ways to to reach an audience. And so it it was phenomenal. And kind of somewhere in between there, I participated in a couple of anthologies. One was called the Mañana Anthology, which was made up in completely of Latino and Latina creators, or Latinx if you prefer. And uh, the, the, the conceit of that anthology was what does the, the world look like in the year um, 2492, you know, like a thousand years after Columbus came and, and, and did his thing. And uh, that book raised like almost $80,000 on Kickstarter, which was phenomenal. It was participants from all over the world. And mm-hmm. then, uh, and then I did another anthology called the um, Menagerie Anthology, organized by my friend Ramon Govea. He organized some excellent top, sheer, top, top shelf talent, man, like Brian Edward Hill, Brandon Easton, Robert Jeffrey, Brian Hawkins, and a number of others, and then me, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so we did a, a sci-fi anthology, and that one wrapped up fairly recently, and so. It was great, man. But the, the biggest thing for me is I sat down and wrote the one graphic novel I've been wanting to write for years, the one that's kind of been in the back of my head and I've been developing in the back of my head for years, but I just never sat down to write. Um, I had an outline, a rough outline. And so I just sat down like in March or April and I banged out a, a hundred pager and it's called Major wow. Tomas about a, a Latino astronaut that gets lost in space. So I was busy, man, but I had time, right? I had time yeah. to dedicate to it because I was just trapped indoors. So 2020 yeah. uh when i look back on it i'll look back on it very 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 fondly it was a, it was a lot of fun i i donated my most beloved piece of art to that gail simone thing uh i was gonna do i had options and then i went no gail said it has to be it ha-, she actually said 
it it has to hurt. It has to be something you love. Yeah. And uh, right. Kevin Eastman did a cover for my Elvira series, and because he's the nicest man in the world, he sent me the art. And I was looking at it, going, uh, "I'm going to sell a Kevin Eastman original," and be playing <laughs> charity. Sure, I'll do it. Uh, but yeah, Gail, Gail was very thankful and appreciative, and I can't remember how much we raised, but it was a nice. It, it made a few bucks. Uh, and right, I, right. I too, uh, I didn't do a whole graphic novel of, uh, but I did participate in a an anthology called uh, Nightmare Theater that I used as an excuse to uh, to write something I literally have wanted to do one way or another since I was a child. Like the origin of the story goes back to the early seventies. Uh, wow. My dad was a my dad was a World War II veteran and a writer and when he told me bedtime stories uh <laughs> he knew i was fascinated by his life and his service in the army in world war ii he told me all of the fairy tales the classic fairy tales as world war ii combat stories starring him uh so i did the first i did an eight page prologue for that uh with hansel and gretel where a uh, you know, an American armored patrol in the Black Forest in Germany in 1944 finds a candy house with two kids in an oven and, you know, and a, and a witch and, you know, they take her down with small arms fire. Uh, like you do uh, in fairy tales. But, but yeah, no, it did, it did have, right? I mean, if you like that kind of thing, you like that kind of thing. Go back to that. Uh, give but give yeah. me 40,000 copies. Yeah. Here, I do. I will probably be. I will be expanding that uh, moving forward because I. I think it's. Uh, it's definitely. It's. It's got some potential for storytelling. It is quite a thing going back to Victoria to be out of art school and into a monthly comic, almost immediately. How did you hook up with Behemoth? Um. Wow, I think. Originally, Kevin Rodatelli reached out to me on Instagram. Mm. God bless it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was awesome self-hosting. Yeah, oh, he's got the energy. I just wish I could just mm -hmm. suck it right out of him. <laughs> um, so I was I was self-hosting my thesis comic. Um, so my, my link was in my bio and all that. And he just, he saw it and had his eyes on it um, and threw it at the guys at Behemoth and they loved it. That's great. Um, and I think it just, it has something for everyone. And honestly, like I'm so happy with it. I'm happy with like the, the passion I put in over the past like year developing that because it really was kind of this like methodical academic um, approach to making a comic idea. Um, and it was one of those things, like I, I did the issue as if I could do more, but just kind of left it. Mm -hmm. um, I was perfectly happy to let it be a single issue um, as like the learning piece. Sure. But but they, they wouldn't let me rest. Well, um, you know, that's that's got a, speaking of my buddy Kevin, that's got a pretty good pedigree. Uh, you know, oh, like, yeah. Ninja Turtles was supposed <laughs> to be a one-off. There's a reason they killed the villain Shredder. <laughs> in the first one, you know, in the very first comic, they were like, we're never doing another. This is idiotic. We're never doing another one of these ridiculous things. And, you know, here we are 35 years later. We're still, you know, making movies and cartoons and hundreds, 
a hundred different comic books uh, using those characters. So there's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a a great history to the one shot you didn't think was going to ever be anything, but a, but a one shot for your own, you know, for your own love and happiness. Uh, I am, I am also curious because I just don't know anything about it. Um, College courses about comic books. How mm-hmm. atomic is that? Like, do they are they teaching writing and penciling and inking and is it a general storytelling thing? Like, were there a lot of different courses? Yes, I mean, there's a whole program dedicated to it that I came into about halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of only a handful of of programs in the nation, and CCAD kind of takes. Uh, very focused on substance of comics and and what are we trying to say with comics and then you know building on the the fundamentals of drawing and um, actually making things um, it felt very centered on independent comics sure um, but it was I mean a lot of the textbooks were just classic comics um, like and what? What did what did you study? What what comics did you study? in I'm sorry, I'm so interested in this. It's just, no, no. It's I, it I, was, I've never been in a comics course outside of like you know, the occasional. Um, let's see what I mean. We 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 read a lot of Eleanor Davis and Tilly Walden. Mm. Um, a lot of kind of these contemporary. Um, Relensing of comic stories mm-hmm. and and just like what what do comics look like going forward when it's not Marvel and DC and superheroes? Um, we looked at you know the the classics. We looked at Watchmen and we looked at a lot of some of these Marvel and DC runs. We picked apart. I had to do a five page essay on a single page in Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run. Hmm. And like, I loved it. Uh Um, It's a fantastic run. Um, But a lot of it was, was really mining the the context of comics and kind of what was going on when they were being made. Why were these made? Why were they successful? Why was this, what was greenlit? Um, And that was all still on the conceptual side. Sure. There is there's a lot of perspective drawing and a lot of just iterative comics. <clears throat> make lots right. of comics. Um, overall, I felt it was very well structured. The faculty were phenomenal. They're just my favorite people in the world, um, and just being able to walk through some of their shoes. Mm-hmm. So like Lauren McCubbin runs the program and she was um, an editor at Image Comics for like forever. Okay. Um, Emmy Guinness does a lot of um, like biographical memoir comics and does a lot of independent press stuff. Um, or just a lot of good people within a certain mm-hmm. sphere. Um, it just became a a good frame of reference for me learning what, Mm -hmm. what comics were because at at the time it was, it was brand new to me. Like I read comics growing up. I read a lot of 
Um, I read a lot of manga. Um, I lived in Japan as a kid. And so like, I just grew up with like that format and that whole thing. Um, and so kind of bringing it back around to make Western comics was, it's been deeply satisfying. Sure. And, and I just like anything that I know about comics came from CCAD's comic program. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious only because partially because, you know, I came to comics about five, six years ago, seven years ago now. It's that thing where you something is five years ago and you say it's five years ago and then 10 years later, you're like, <laughs> maybe I should stop saying five years ago yeah. and, and increment that up. Uh, but I sort of did a autodidact, like I didn't have any classes to sign up for. So when I got my first shot at a gig, I literally like, well, I pulled Watchmen down off the shelf and said, so let's see what, ah, nine panels. Interesting. You know, here's, here's new fun. I, 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 yeah. I, I, I remember, I remember walking through the aisles at Meltdown Comics and, um, and, you know, again, I mean, you talk about sort of just really laser focusing in on one element of the storytelling, you know, in a class or something like that. I remember being at Meltdown Comics, pulling an issue down and just flipping through and being like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, right. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three, you know what I'm saying? Just, <laughs> just watch just, and, and all I was doing is like, I spent, you know, an hour, hour and a half in Meltdown Comics, just pulling things down and counting panels and trying to like feel the rhythm of everything, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and if something, mm -hmm. if something threw me off, I had to stop and I had to look closer at it. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, it, it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, and and it, 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 we did that sort of stuff in film school. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, well, mm -hmm. we're just going to look at this montage from Potemkin and why it's cut this way and why it's cut at this speed. And, and, and this shot is 120 frames and this shot is, right. you know, this many frames. And, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I think that film school prepared me to kind of take comics apart like that, but you have to learn that kind of thinking somewhere. Right. I mean, yeah. Well, that's, I, it didn't feel quite as rigorous, but I definitely took it to those extremes during like my off semesters. I have, um, Google spreadsheets with those same kinds of breakdowns of how many pages are there, how many panels are on each page, how many words are in each bubble, and how many bubbles are there in each panel. And I just needed to know everything. So I went through everything on my bookshelf, everything that I could get a hold of in the CCAD library, and tore apart probably 200 books, and just like obsessively over the summer. And, and then I went and I read uh, Scott McCloud's understanding right. and making comics and he said all the same things i'm like man i could have just i could have saved so that. much time just reading Scott <laughs> McCloud. yeah and i've 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 definitely recommended that to people Oof. uh it is fun. i'm reading a bunch of old comics these days and i for all of the positive negative ways comics have changed over y the years holy shit the ad placement in old comics if I was writing comics in the 1970s, I would have been minutes from killing myself every time I had a new book because it, all the page turns are thrown off. Like you have a page and then you have three pages of ads. Then you have another page and you have two pages of ads. And you're like, try to develop any kind of like, whereas now a lot of the indie comics, it's solid. And then there's two pages of ads at the back or three pages of ads or five pages of ads. Um, it's, it's fascinating how much that stuff has changed. I, for some reason, I was reading John Carter of Warlord, Warlord of Mars number one from 1978. And for um, among other things, it was 16 pages. And I was like, wow, how did you get away with 16 pages in 1978? That's 
that's sneaky. Uh, there was like a two-page text thing, and I'm like, that's still, that's a low page count for a 70s comic book. But all of the ways in which that stuff endlessly changes uh, and mm -hmm. having to keep up with it and having to keep up with, uh, you know, the style of how things are written. I mean, again, I love <clears throat> some classic comics, but the degree to which every Marvel comic for about 25 years from the 60s through the 80s started with the most clumsy recapping of the previous issue that you could possibly imagine. I actually think the greatest innovation in modern comics is the inside the front cover recap. So you don't have, I don't understand, Charles. Why are we here on Muir Island? Well, Cyclops, because if you remember from five minutes ago in your actual lived experience, <laughs> we had this conversation on the Quinjet on the way over. What is wrong? Like every single thing is stupidly, you know, like the, the what's the, the worst line of dialogue ever that you ever write is, as you know, you know, like, <laughs> comma, I'm about to dump some exposition that makes absolutely no sense in the context of the scene. But anyway, all mm -hmm. that said, uh, Omar, I'm curious, when did you start out and, you know, what, how did you educate yourself or how were you educated? Yeah, um, it was about roughly 10 years ago. I, I sat down and said, you know what, I want to, I want to learn how to, how to write a comic book and, and see if I can, if I can make one. And uh, I bought an annotated version of All-Star Batman and Robin that had the full script in the back, right? It was Frank Miller, Jim Lee. And it's Frank Miller literally having a dialogue with Jim Lee throughout the script. Jim, do this. Jim, make the fanboys drool. Jim, you know, make sure Robin looks so cute that you just want to reach out and hug him. And so I studied every sentence. That is part of, that is yes. in his thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so I, I studied every centimeter of that script, all 22 pages and how he the panels. And he, he has kind of a tedious way of numbering the, um, the dialogue balloons and captions, you know. So it's like page 11, dot one for panel one, dot two for the second balloon. And so I studied the crap out of that, studied the piss out of it, read it backwards and forward. And so what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to write a script and I'm going to copy Frank's panel breakdown and his blocking for each page and i'm just going to fill in my own story and i got like two pages in and i said to hell with this this doesn't work right like i have right. to be able to control the narrative the flow the blocking the how big the panel is how many panels i want how many balloons i want all the things that we've we've been talking about that you guys learned in comic school and film school i was doing the same thing but just kind of on the fly learning by trial and error and so I wrote my uh, first 22-page script uh, about an original character called Scrapper. He was a guy that wore, like, used sporting equipment and went out at night and beat up thugs in the alleys. You know, not, not super original stuff, but... Uh, a little bit of Casey had a couple Jones drawings. There, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, like, the hockey gear and the football gear. It was a mishmash of, of gear. And, uh, and I wrote it, and I had a couple drawings done of it, and uh, that one didn't really go anywhere. I put it on the shelf, and then I had my next idea for uh, Crusader, and I did a 22-page one-shot, took it to WonderCon, which was my first con ever, back when it was still in San Francisco before it moved to Anaheim, mm -hmm. and uh, had a great reception, and uh, I thought, all right, I'm going to blow this up from 22 pages into like a 100-plus page graphic novel, which I did. It's, it's like 156 pages, I think, that, that book, and that was like the first thing I ever did, and I learned 
the hard way <laughs> about using a spreadsheet like Victoria was talking about to map out every page. So the page turns work and the double spreads work, you know, and everything's lined up correctly. I made a lot of mistakes, but that's the way you learn. Right. And so yeah. I had to start dropping mm -hmm. in new pages to, to make everything line up. So by the time I started doing other books and other stories, I, I had made all my mistakes and I had learned, you know, quickly, um, how to set up, you know, a complete story so that everything lines up. And, you know, to your point, averaging four panels a page, making sure mm -hmm. that um, there's enough room to operate with for leaving enough room for all the dialogue if it's a big panel. And if it's a small panel, you don't want hardly anything in there, right? So uh, right. that's kind of how I learned, really, trial and error. And, and, cool. and like Rylan said, studying other books that were already out there in the market. And that, that's how I did it. Yeah, and I, and I, there's a lot to be said for in any discipline really is you never stop learning you never stop looking at things i've been taking these uh howard chaikin has been doing this thing called talent talk yes uh, i've been doing those too uh, you've been those? yeah and he said yeah. something in the second one and i had waited i said wait a minute let me boil that down to something mind-blowing that will blow my mind and it'll stay with me for the rest of my career as a comic book writer. I said, you're telling me that time is space. And he said, yes, in a comic book, that's exactly right. Time equals space. Doesn't yep. Einstein doesn't work here. Here it's T equals S. Like it's very, very, and I was like, that is a wild, wild thing to just like, yep. take that in, absorb it. That's the whole game. Time Equal space. Space is an expression of time in a comic book. And that is a, you know, and it's like, I think that's a thing as a general principle. I think you know it in your bones, but hearing someone say it out loud, you go, mm -hmm. oh, that is a whole perspective to have on, on the work going forward. When I started a, a pro, a friend of mine had given me a plot sheet that had little boxes on it showing like what you could see on the page turns. And it was a very useful tool when I started. And I don't know, about a, a year and a half ago, I went, or you could just remember the difference between even and odd. That would that would also, that would do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> if, you remember, well, I mean, it's, yeah. if you remember odd setup, even punchline, keep that in your head, move forward. <laughs> you know, like, uh, that's all that actually takes. Okay, good. I don't need the plot anymore. But the very first comic I wrote, very first comic script i wrote i did shitty stick figures of every like i i did every page mm -hmm. i did if i were the mm -hmm. artist looking at this what is this supposed to look like and i did it for about two comics and you know not to break my arm patting my own back but those two comics came <laughs> in looking shockingly like my shitty like like my comic my version looked like a, the child of the artist had tried to copy what they did. So it's like, this is close enough that I think my panel descriptions are good. Like, I think my page layouts yeah. and my panel yeah. descriptions must be good. Cause I didn't show those to the artists. I'm not that, you know, <laughs> it was mostly just, I wanted to go, does this action work on a page? I think as someone coming from film, I don't know if Rylan had, the thing I most have to fight is the idea of two actions in a panel instead of one. Because in a script, you'd write, he walks in the room, turns on a light, and lights a cigarette. And I'm like, that's five panels. <laughs> you know, like in a, in a movie, yeah. that's one shot. In a comic book, if you want all of those things, 
some of them are happening at the same time or it's five panels and you have to get yourself out of that habit. I think you have to, I think you have to get yourself out of that habit. But, um, I mean, for me, it was an advantage because, you know, again, I mean, I, I, I went to grad school, you know, for film directing. Right. And, and I mean, really all that was, was about taking a, a dramatic scene and breaking it down into shots, you know? And, um, I mean, there's the TV way to direct a scene where, you know, master shot, you know, (laughs) shot, reverse shot, get a little coverage and, and that helps and that works. And you can do that in comics. Um, but the art of directing, right. Is to tell the story with the camera, you know, the camera angle changes only when the drama changes, when the psychology of the scene changes, all of that stuff. And it's about, you know, sort of infusing your camera, the editing with all of that stuff. And so, um, you know, having like, having gone through that for a really long time. And then by the time I got the comics, I've been, you know, a working professional in Hollywood for about 10 years. And so, um, you know, I'd been doing it for a long time there. I, I had to figure out how to translate it. You know, um, it, I, I was, I was speaking a different language to a certain degree, but, but not so much, you know, um, I mean, it's funny, it's funny all this education talk because I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you all get it also. Um, you know, it's once a year at least where an old friend or somebody will, will, will hit me up and, and, and start talk and talk about starting to do this. Where do I start? How do I, how do I learn how to write a screenplay? What are the books you recommend? All of this stuff. And, and, you know, in fact, I got one maybe a month or two ago, you know, and, um, you know, some some high school friend of mine who was locked up in his house for a year and was like, I, I got to do something. I'm going to write a fucking screenplay, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, but I was like, you know, look, I, I haven't I haven't read one of those books in I, I don't know how long ago it was, you know. Um, I mean, when they when they wanted us to read them at AFI, I didn't read them. You know, I mean, it's been twenty years since I've read one of those books. I don't know what the good fucking books are anymore. Uh, I could I can do a Google search and find the list of fifteen books that other people recommend and be like, oh yeah, I remember reading that one like when I was eighteen or whatever. Um, and uh, and and you know that's where I'm at right now. It's like what happens is I, you read about it, but when you read about it, it is this nebulous thing. It's this thing you've heard about, right? Um, uh, you know, it is, you know, somebody, somebody can tell you how to hit a baseball or how how to hit a 90 mile an hour fastball. Um, but until you stand in the batter's box and start taking rips, uh, you know, until you take 10,000 of those rips and start putting them over the fence, you don't know what you're doing. And then like, and then, you know. And then when you go up to fucking Barry Bonds, you know, and you're like, you know, and I don't want to compare myself to Barry Bonds and, and Barry, Barry Bonds is a terrible <laughs> reference to make uh, 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 at all. But, you know, you go up to a, you go up to Tony Gwynn, who wasn't a complete fucking dirtbag, but was a great hitter. OK, and you're like, hey, Tony, how'd you do that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like uh-huh. it, it, it just doesn't. There is this thing at work. I mean, there is this mm-hmm. machine at work. You, you, you have these programs on your hard drive that are just executing. Right. Um, and so that was the beauty of, it was the beauty of comics for me was I just had to figure out, I, I had all of the tools, right? I just had to kind of figure out how they now apply to this different format. I mean, we're, we're all storytellers no matter what. Right. And, and, and it was a, it was a big revelation for me. I, I've told this story on, on this podcast a couple, a couple of times. So I'll try to sort of catch you guys up and blow through it. So I don't, uh, ignore, uh, annoy the listeners, but, um, but you know, I, I came into Hollywood during a kind of a boom time, right? And you just 
you wrote a script and if it was good, you, you sold it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then the, and then the financial crisis hits, then the writer strike hits, Hollywood completely remakes the way they do business overnight. They're making about a third as many films as they were making, you know, the day before, um, the entire independent film movement dries up. Um, and, and this coincides with the IP revolution. Everything's got to be based on something, a video game, a book, a comic book, whatever. And I, you, and then overnight you can't sell an original idea to save your life. So, you know, so, um, if I'm going to write a spec script, if I'm going to go out and try and pitch something, I have literally no chance of selling it. And, you know, I was stubborn. It took me a year or two very lean years of, of, to figure out like, holy shit, like if I don't, if I don't change right now, if I don't figure something out, um, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be doing this for very long. Right. Um, and, and, you know, of course you're sitting there like, well, you know, whatever, a year ago I was selling these things, what the fuck, you know? And, and well, you know, you, you can change or you can die. Right. Um, and so, you know, fi finally I got the, I, you know, I got the bright idea, like, look, if they want IP, I'm going to give them, why don't I just give them IP? Right. Um, and so I took a, 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 an idea that I had been noodling on for a really long time. And I knew that I, it was a great idea, but I knew I couldn't sell it as a, a, a script. I knew I couldn't sell it as a, a pitch. I wrote it as a short story. I got the short story published, and overnight we had a bidding war. Um, we had Justin Lin on one side coming off of a, a Fast Six, which was the largest opening in Universal Summer history. Um, and we had uh, Brett Ratner and Robert De Niro on the other side. And Tyler Perry made an offer and blah, 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 blah. And suddenly it was like, well, you know, I, you know, I think I have a formula here. My, my agents, my managers thought it was a fluke. You know, uh, uh, long story short, like I did it about six or seven more times with short stories. Now, I just set up a TV series at Lionsgate that was uh, that was based on a short story that I wrote. I started to do it with comic books, but that is a very long-winded way of uh, of saying that I, I realized at some point that in order to survive, I had to become a story. I had to become a writer and not a screenwriter. If if, if I if I was just a screenwriter. <laughs> I, I was not going to last very long. I was going to be back in Michigan selling insurance. I think there's anything wrong with that, but it wasn't for me. Um, and so I had to diversify my bonds. I had to learn to tell stories in all of these mediums, you know, and, uh, and, and oh. so, um, you know, the last couple of years, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've written a lot of film, I've written a lot of TV, but I've written just as much fiction and short fiction and comic <laughs> stuff. And, um, and, you know, it, it, uh, it really kind of helped me, uh, there's so little that you can do in movies right now, you know? And so my writing got stale and it became this miserable experience, but in comics, you can, you can do anything you want to, as long as it's good, as long as it, uh, you know, uh, the, the audience will come. Right. And, and, and so it kind of saved my creative life also. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to kind of get stuck in one corner of this thing we're doing, but it's, it's a lot bigger than, than I think we, we recognize a lot of the time than, than, you know, and so, and so anything creative that you're doing, anytime you're, 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 you're telling a story. I mean, even, you know, Victoria, you're talking about doing, uh, um, you know, art for advertising and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were, you were still cultivating a skill set, right. And, 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 and those, those months, those years, however long it was spent doing that stuff. I mean, because, because here's the thing is that you were, you were dealing with assholes in a business environment, right? Um, and you would like to think oh, yeah. that comics, comics is all about locking yourself in a room and creating your opus and then people celebrate it and throw money and awards <laughs> at you. But no, half the game, uh, 
uh, probably three quarters of the game, right, is is fucking promoting your work, is fucking begging uh, uh, publishers to to get it in front of people, begging comic shops oh, to yeah. order it. Half of it is business. Half of it is dealing with assholes. Um, uh, and, um, and, and, and so all of this stuff prepared us for this. Right. Um, and so, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I like to think of it, um, I mean, there's no, there's no right or wrong way to do this stuff, but you just kind of like collect tools for your toolbox. Right. And then figure out how to, uh, MacGyver something together, you know, when, well, when I think the, when the thing to. that, the, the thing that storytelling is sort of the thing that can't be taught. I think that's the, there, there are, you can teach tools to someone who understands storytelling and there are basic things of storytelling that possibly can be taught, but I think it's a very hard thing to start from zero. And there are books on comic book writing and comic book creation that start from a very elemental, like, what is a story? What is a character? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Denny O'Neill has a book on comic book writing. That's great. If you've never written anything before in your life or thought about writing. Uh, and Denny O'Neill was a great editor and a great writer, but his book is very 101. Like I read a couple of pages in that and went, okay, this is, let me get to the back where he starts saying, where he gets past, you know, plot and character and what is a story and all that. And there are people for him that's, that is useful, but I think that, you know, you're always, you know, it's always in motion and you're always learning and you've always got something to learn from the people who have been doing it a super long time. And, you know, yeah. God bless Instagram. You have something to learn from people who just started it. Also, I see cartoons on, you know, comics on Instagram and I'm like, that is fucking genius, you know, and uh, being open to all of that stuff. And again, the great thing about comics is I don't need 20 trucks and 150 people to experiment with an idea. I need an, I, I need an afternoon of one penciler's time, you know, to like, experiment with one page. You know, I don't. You made, you made a really good point right off the bat is that either this is in you or it isn't. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that is very true. You can learn the nuts and bolts of stuff. You know, I mean, I can like uh, I can. I can buy a piece of Ikea furniture and follow the step-by-step -step thing and put a fucking bookshelf together, right? That does not mean that I'm ever going to be a qualified carpenter, yeah. um, you know? And, 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 and so some people, some people can build the Ikea equivalent, whatever it is of a comic book. And, and we've seen it plenty of times. And that person might be a very good salesman and, 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 and may convince, you know, image or something to publish that book or whatever, but there's never going to be heart and soul. It's never going to be this inspiring thing. But, 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 but for some, some people are made for woodworking, right? Um, I have this friend, this, uh, this friend, Fred, who like is just, you know, I mean, he's just, he's, he's, he's brilliant. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, he, he has this wood shop in his house now and, and everything he touches fucking turns into gold. I go in there and I, you know, I fucking cut my hand in five minutes and I'm, I'm in the, in the corner fucking, you know, uh, drinking a Coke, you know, um, uh, it is in you or it isn't, you know what I'm saying? And so, so I, I think that, um, uh, some of us fight it for a long time. Yeah. doing this because it, it doesn't make a whole ton of logical sense to commit your life to doing this shit because it's not always lucrative and sometimes it's very yeah. very devastating yeah. but 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 those of us who end up doing this those who get where we are we've been doing it 
I, I started, I, I write in this office, this crazy office full of the toys that I played with when I was a kid. And, and the reason I do that is because the best stories I ever told, I told with my action figures when I was a kid. I started when I was fucking three years old with toys telling these same fucking stories. You know what I'm saying? And and, and to, to anyone who was fucking watching or listening, it was obvious that I was going to end up right here then. You know what I'm saying? It was the only end of this. Yeah. I totally yeah. agree, man. And I identify with everything you guys are saying. I started in journalism. So I studied mm -hmm. broadcasting and advertising. And out of college, I worked for the news, right? And when you work in small market TV, you are the photographer, you are the editor, you are the producer, you are the writer. You're, you're doing the whole job by yourself, right? And so I learned very quickly how to tell a story efficiently and economically. You know, a typical news story is about 90 seconds or less. So I learned about establishing shots, medium shots, close-ups, reverse angles. So I already had all of that built in by the time I started doing comics. So it was easy for me to tell an artist you know, where we needed a wide establishing shot or where we needed a close-up or an over-the-shoulder two-shot if it's just a conversation. So I totally agree, Ryland. I think no matter what I would have done, if I would have been born in another country under different circumstances, I still would be right here where I am today. It's just, mm -hmm. it's either in you or it isn't. So I, I, I totally agree and identify with everything and you guys I, are saying. I, I do want to say, like, it's, I don't, I don't want it to come off as a gatekeeper-y thing that if it's not, everyone tells stories. Everybody tells jokes. Everyone tells, but there is a, I think there is a predilection for it being important to you and the mm. quality of the story you tell being important to you. My father was a writer. My mother was a, an activist and she was a great writer of activist materials. But if she, if you asked her, how was your day? She would start telling you the story and she would say, I had a, a sesame seed bagel for breakfast. And I would go, is the sesame seed bagel going to come back later? Or is that just like, that's just a detail that has nothing to do with anything. Like, I'm just, you know, not in an asshole way, but I was always like, is the sesame seed bagel like vital to the anecdote you're about to tell me? Or is it just what you had for breakfast? And you say, just what I had for breakfast. Like next time drop the sesame seed bagel. I swear to God. Look. Somebody better slip on a fucking sesame seed bagel in the third right. act. Like, like she would tell me I had a sesame seed bagel and I would listen to the whole story about how she met, had a meeting with a senator. And I'd be like, oh, but she's going to have a seed from a sesame seed bagel in her teeth. That's, that's why I had to hear about the sesame seed. Nope. Nope. It was just a, <laughs> she just knew how to do an information. Throwaway detail. Here's, here's how my day was. So you asked me how my day was. So I'm going to tell you everything that happened to me today. Whereas I'm, I'm sure this is universal. I know it's not just me. When something interesting or funny happens to me during my day and I am alone, I immediately start crafting the anecdote. Like I will be driving away from the ridiculous thing that happened to me and writing the paragraph that I'm going to tell my wife or my friend when they say, what happened to you? And I say, oh, crazy thing. I was at the supermarket and beginning middle twist end <laughs> you know, like like you're doing that with every single thing that happens to you that you think can be put on the loom and spun into a narrative and when you have that instinct you know like the sesame seed bagel actually doesn't have anything to do with the near traffic accident i got in i wasn't like dizzy from having eaten a bagel like 
If I was, good. We'll bring that in. We'll bring the sesame seed bagel in. But uh, I love how much trouble I'm giving the sesame seed bagel here. But uh, it's, <laughs> but it is, talk. but I do think that, and you know, and we, we do the education thing. Like I said, I think I, I grasped from reading comic books that panels are units of time and that we express time that way. But Howard basically boiling it down to the point where I was able to go, wait a minute, time is space. That's crazy. That's that's very, that's actually pretty deep. And he went, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Time is space. And you go, good thing to just keep, you know, on the, and when people, especially the people who are, you know, professionals and have been doing it longer than you have, you can even learn from them telling you something wrong. You can learn from them telling you something you disagree with, where you go, well, that's that's actually not how I see that, you know? And I know that a lot of comics instruction that I've encountered has been done by cartoonists, people who draw as well as write. And they do not feel very strongly about people who just write. They're not crazy about it. <laughs> They kind of think we don't belong in the industry, uh, and it's and that knowing that that prejudice is there, also you can kind of better understand what you're being told, and how to absorb it, you know. And you look at you you can see it in the work, like Howard said, it's the same like five six panel page thing to me once, and I said, but American flag is full of pages with. 25 panels on them. It's like, yeah, those are TV monitor things. I was like, it's still a panel, Howard. Like, it's still its, <laughs> it's still its own. Like, I get what you're saying about the panels are atomizing time in a different way when you're you like Frank Miller does it a lot in Dark Knight Returns too, where it's TV. Uh, you know, he'll do 20 panels on a page of something, and that's not like a standard page. But again, you le you learn from all of it. Um, and I know, yeah, I know that wasn't our main topic today, but you know, a year stuck inside is also a fantastic oh, yeah. time to study your craft and to learn about it. And you know, four-year-olds, notwithstanding, uh, be able to spend some focus on uh, on what it is you're doing. So, to get to the second part of the question, plan moving forward into 2021. I know Victoria, you're going to do more cinnamon you're a one person operation right you're not in you're not you yeah. don't have a colorist you don't have a letter you <laughs> I'm are the just, full package you're the full package so that sounds like <laughs> that's a full-time job to me yes it's it's taken up most of my time over the past year um and it's gonna keep going for as for as long as they're willing to does it and it. so you don't have you plotted out Four episode, four issues, six issues, twelve issues. Um, so the comic is based on a lot of real world encounters with my own cats. So whenever something happens, I write it down and spin it because, like, the idea is that normal things feel super intense and turn into a big fight with mechas and all sorts of stuff. Like it's this big thing, but it all comes down from the tiny little details. So um, I've been collecting all those little like anecdotes and stories for the past two years since we got the cats. And so I have about 12 issues worth of content and mm -hmm. stories that I'd love to tell. And like, honestly, the comic writes itself because anyone who's owned a cat has funny little things yeah. that happen. So I, 
I, I'm going to keep doing this for as long as it makes sense to do. Sure. And I'm really happy with the feedback that's, uh, that's already coming in. Um, pre-orders are, the numbers are starting to come in for cinnamon number one, and it just makes me like over the moon. I didn't expect it to do as well as it's doing. Um, so hopefully just, just riding the wave. Mm -hmm. Um, it and feels look, good anyone, to have that. Anyone who's done it will tell you an indie comic is that's a hard road. That is Sisyphean. That is pushing a rock up a hill for <laughs> yes. anyone, regardless of your background experience. So to be doing it like first thing out of art school, coming off your senior thesis is impressive. You it's, know, I, I consider myself extremely lucky because it wasn't it wasn't for talent or um it's not that I was more deserving than some of my peers. Sure. You and know? that's, I, like, I am, I am always a little judgy of people who never mention luck personally, <laughs> because I've had yeah. a ton of bad luck and I've had, I've had luck that was just as good as I've had luck that was terrible. Exactly. And anyone who finds themselves in a position like it's not, the world is full of talented people who will never ever have work that's seen by the public. And yeah. you could you could think about that and cry all night, but we have to go on with our lives. Uh, so whenever anyone is like, no, I'm here because uh, entirely because of my own talent and hard work, it's like every privileged person no. thinks that's the only thing that got them there and that there was no luck. There, dude, there is always luck. There is always who read your script. Mm -hmm. Like the, 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 the agent that, you know, that, uh, read Ryland's script, he could have had a fight with his wife right before reading it, and that would have been no career for, no no career at that moment for Ryland. I do believe that things would have worked out one way or the other, but it, you know the ways in which the invisible forces of the world conspire to help you and against you. You know, I Kevin has been a great partner for me the last bunch of years. And I was very lucky that he sat down next to me at Emerald City Comic Con and we struck up a conversation. So I seem like the luckiest guy in the world, except for the two times in the last 20 years before that, that I was within a few minutes of meeting Kevin and didn't. Mm. Like we could have been business partners in 1990 when I was a PA working for the company that made the first Ninja Turtles movie. And I quit a week before they went into production because I hated them. <laughs> Kevin agrees with me that they're all, they were awful, by the way. Uh, the director is great. Production company is terrible. And ten years uh, five years after that, he married an actress a, you know, a couple of months after I worked with her for the first time. And had I kept working with that company, that would have been... The, so, like, you never know what the good luck was and what the bad luck was. And the pandemic being mm -hmm. actually fortunate for you and Omar in some ways. Uh, you never, you, you can look back and see some of the lattice work of well, life and coincidence, but you'll never know all yeah, of it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's not enough to write a good script or to do a good piece of work. I mean, I, the, the script that broke me, it was a script called drive and it was before the drive that we all know and love different mm -hmm. script called drive, but, uh, but was well received. And, and, and I wrote it and it bounced around town for about a year. And people read it and they realized it was good. And, and, you know, I got a meeting or two or something like that, but nobody was really, you know, 
picking it up and running with it or, you know, throwing me a party or rolling out a carpet or anything like that. And then, you know, I won a fucking contest and like, and, 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 and that was it. Nobody wants to be the first person to like champion a script to say, this is good to run with it. Yep. And man, you know, 3000 people entered that contest. It might, it might even been more <laughs> and I won it. And, 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 you know, there were, you know, there were 10 finalists, 20 finalists in the, in the script and any of those scripts were good enough to, to win it. Right. And, 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 uh, and, and, you know, they were great scripts and great writers and some of them actually went on to, to do some great stuff. Um, but, but who knows why, why, why they fucking pick mine, you know, they could have picked, you know, it, 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 it could have been that they was down between two of them or three of them and they threw a dart or they flipped a coin or, or whatever. I mean, it all comes down to that. Again, the mood that somebody was in or whatever. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it wins this contest. It went out to the same fucking people and they were like, man, the changes you made, this just took that script from fucking good to, to out of this world. I didn't change a fucking comma. It was the same right. goddamn script. And because somebody had said it was good, then yep. suddenly this director wanted it and, 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 mm -hmm. and this agency wanted to sign me and all that stuff. That, was, that wasn't just luck. That was a fucking lightning strike. You know what I'm saying? And I've, I've been lucky to have two or three or four of them in my, in, in, in my time. And, um, you know, an, an indie book winning a fucking Ringo award, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, was, was, uh, was th th that was unheard of. And, and, and that was another lightning strike for me. And, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't reaped the full benefits because of COVID back to the fucking topic. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you're nominated for four Ringo awards right before a pandemic, uh, 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 you know, and, and, and you're starting to get, uh, um, overtures from big companies. And then, uh, and then the next day the big companies are like, uh, yeah, it's pencils down and we're not really right now. Um, we're, we're letting uh, we're letting every editor that you know go from our company. I've had that happen to me a couple yeah. of times. And yeah, yeah but, again, and not yeah, knowing what the luck is, the script that attracted the interest of a comic book person in me as a writer was a script I wrote for a feature film for 2008 that was set to go into production and the financial crisis came along and all the budget money literally vanished in a couple of hours on the stock mar market. Yeah. But I would have no career as a comic book writer if it's entirely possible that that low budget movie would have changed my life and would have been great for me. Or it would have been one of the 10 low budget movies I've worked on that quietly went on Netflix and nobody ever gave a shit about me ever again. You know, like my, there's no... My, my, yeah, my film writing partner and I had... A, a movie that was about ready to go. Literally, we had boots on the ground in Brazil. Um, uh, I mean, it was 11th hour. And then the fucking producers got Madoff. Like, no fucking lie. Bernie Madoff took took the goddamn <laughs> took the goddamn budget money. Uh, uh, so 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 I mean, this is what's going to happen is like you, you know, I mean, a, a career requires four or five lightning strikes to, to, to kind of keep going. But you also have to survive like hitting the fucking iceberg that the Titanic hit. That has happened. If I've had five or six lightning strikes, you know, or four or five lightning strikes, I've hit 10 icebergs. And, and the fact that this old rickety fucking ship is still sailing uh, is, is a, is a miracle. And, and is also a, a, a testament to, you know, I don't know my 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 hard work, my determination, my fucking insanity, my craziness, whatever you want to say, all of those things. Um, 
but but yeah, it's all those things. It's about getting lucky. It's about persevering. It's about you know, well, it, you it's know, lucky. It's it's lucky that 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 those icebergs didn't sink me. The, yeah. the, that's more luck. But go ahead. I'm no, and, and also the whole idea of you know preparation for when the lucky thing happens. I've told this story on the show a million times, but I met Joe Casada in 2001, and he said are you interested in being a writer for Marvel Comics? And I said, sure. And I got involved in a young writer, not young. <laughs> I got involved in a beginning writer's program they had that shut down like a couple of weeks after I got involved with it. And also in 2001, I didn't have the slightest clue how to be a comic book writer. And I had other things going on that made me not throw my entire back into it. So... Mm -hmm. The luck of Joe Casada saying, the editor in chief of Marvel Comics saying, Hey, do you want to write comic books? There are a hundred thousand people in the world for whom that moment of luck would have played out better than it did for me. Who would have been prepared? Who are like such, like he's like Tom Brevoort reached out to me and said, So, what Marvel Comics characters are you interested in? And because I don't know what the right answers are, I say, Oh, I love Nick Fury. And they're like, <laughs> not you don't want to write spider-man you don't have a fantastic four pitch you don't have an x-men pitch what planet are you on that you think that a nick fury pitch is the thing that's going to make you king of marvel comics that's crazy town but i'm like but that's that's the character i like the most i don't know what to tell you you know it's the same thing if dc reached out to me tomorrow i was like can i write a dark side book and then you know i would hear phones don't make the click sound when you hang them up uh, right away, but I I would hear whatever the 21st century version of the dial tone is after I said, oh, can I write a dark side book? So, you know, there are, but there are, the world is full of people who, when Joe Quesada says, do you want to write for Marvel Comics, have a much better answer than I did. I did, I was not the man to get that piece of luck. And I've I'm been sure, around the, you know, I'm, I'm sure he passed that, you know, I'm sure that's not the only time he said that to somebody. And I'm sure some of those people are now very successful comic book writers. But I I did not have the luck plus preparation to meet that moment. And that's I, the... I, yeah. I've been around the block a couple of times. I still don't have uh, an adequate answer to that. You know, when, when, when yeah. I, 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 do, I, I do, you know, a couple of dozen podcasts a year. And when the podcaster says, you know, uh, well, you know, you're... You know, you want to ring out, you're nominated for a couple others, you're starting to string some successes together. What do you want to write next? What, you know, in your wildest dreams, what do you want to write? And, you know, they, they expect to hear my Spider-Man idea or they expect it for me to at least be like, you know what? Moon Knight would be really amazing. And I tell them, I want to write fucking Johnny Lawrence for IDW. I want to, <laughs> I, I want to write a Karate Kid comic. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, um, I have a really good pitch for a short circuit comic. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just like, that's, you know, that, that's, what's interesting. I, I did a Zorro um, panel at, at San Diego and I spent a good quarter of the panel making fun of Batman. And I literally think someone in the audience was like, do you never want to write for DC? What is wrong with you? I was like, I'm sorry. I prefer Zorro to Batman. And that makes me a, a that makes me a silly old man who will never be a millionaire. Uh, but, uh, maybe someday I'll have a Batman. His, my pitch is he meets Zorro. Uh, but anyway, but uh, Omar, what have you got uh, planned for the rest of the year? What are you what, coming out of COVID? You're not going to go to any more any cons. You're still not unless you can drive to them. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I might do a couple. I think there's one in my hometown that's coming up actually. But 
really, I'm going to be focused on pitching uh, Major Tomas out to, you know, I would call them mid-tier publishers, right? You know, obviously not Marvel and DC, but but that group in between uh, to see if there's some interest out there and uh, continuing mm-hmm. to learn, you know, from the likes of Joe Illich, who has made himself available for consultations, or Mark Wade, Mark Wade, who has made himself available through Zoom. That's great. Um, uh, you know, Fraction and Kelly Sue have made themselves. So I, I sign up for all those things and I learn and absorb and I try to take little tips and tricks from every Zoom that, that I get involved with. And I have my notebook out and, and I'm trying to learn. But really, that that's what I'm focused on. You know, the Lunar Ladies that's coming from Scout and trying to sell, you know, 40,000 copies of that uh, <laughs> and, then, and then pitching. I'm Major glad that I've said and really, that's going to be a bar that we're all reaching for here. That's great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh... but, um, when we wrap up, we usually like to like to say, where can people find you and, and where, uh, what do you got next? We've talked very pretty thoroughly about what we've got next, but uh, Omar, where can people find you? Uh, the best place is my website, theforcemedia.com. Uh, it's got all the links to all of my social media. Um, I try to use at the Crusader pretty much wherever I can. There's some places where I have to use a hyphen or, or an underscore, but uh Going back to the last topic about what character would you really want to write, I, my solve for that is just to do your own fan fiction. I've done, and it's available for free on the website. I did a Mandalorian, the first hunt, I called it, like the first time he ever took a bounty. And I imagined what that would look like, and I did a 12-page full-color, full-production. It's a PDF that's for free on my website, theforcemedia.com. And that's my solve for what would you really want to do. Well, I've, I did stuff. Nobody paid me for it. <laughs> And I had to very clearly mark it. This is the property of Disney sure. and, and Lucasfilm LTD. But uh, why not? Like, if I want to do a Captain America next, I can do that and throw it up on my website for free. That I think that's the idea of comics, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. And Victoria, where can people find you? Um, so I'm always on Instagram at blackbit.exe. Um, if you ever want to drop in and chat about weird indie comics or video games or what have you. Um, my website is blackbit.world and it's a hand-coded mess and there's a page full of butts and you can come just have a good time and uh, are these hang butts out. All, are these butts all human butts? Are there a lot of cat butts in there? <sighs> there's the there's spread, so to speak? Uh, probably half and half. <laughs> I, I'm constantly updating. So, so the... <laughs> lots of cat buttholes because there's lots of uh, cats and cinnamon and the uh the insignia on the back of cinnamon's jacket is a is a cat's butthole like nice stylized like an asterisk um now so i'm I'm a bit of a butt connoisseur um (laughs) check it out at my website Uh, (laughs) i am going to that page right now because that sounds very exciting my greatest dream is to get a tattoo of a butt with a butt-shaped tattoo on it and to get it on my butt. <laughs> buttception, I think that's called. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it, it, it may cause a tear in space-time. That's my worry. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but, but, but but one of these days, I'm going to roll the dice. Um, yeah. Or it's a I, premise I, you, can, you can sell to Nolan, you know, one of the, one of the two. 
There you go. I should uh, I should uh, yeah. go to the guild and have that registered. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I am at Rylan Grant on all forms of social media. Uh, it's written right there for anyone who's watching. But if you're listening, it is R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And now I have to spell it for you. Um, my comic books, uh, the Ringo Award-winning Aberrant and the uh, four-time Ringo-nominated Banjax are available in fine comic shops everywhere and on Amazon and via Comixology and all of those cool things. Um, uh, my astral projection thriller, The Jump, um, and my Fargo-esque crime drama, The Peacekeepers, uh, kicked a little ass on Kickstarter and are now available via Backer Kit. If you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, uh, you'll find uh, everything on those, as well as uh, signed copies of Aberrant and Banjax and Raricon variants. It's kind of the one-stop Ryland Grant shop, so that's a good place to uh, to uh, go if you uh, are a Ryland Grant aficionado, um, like like many. Um, <laughs> uh, my my next book, my latest and greatest uh, uh, book, it's a uh, Tokusatsu joint that is kind of um, uh, you know, I'm a bit pitched at uh, Fast and the Furious meets Voltron. Uh, it is called Suicide Jockeys. It is available uh, for pre-order right now at your local comic shops via SourcePoint Press. So uh, go check it out. It's a great book. When when we saw the first trailer for uh, Skateboard nice. Battle, Pacific Rim. <laughs> oh, nice. For Pacific Rim, my wife uh, said, "Oh my God, it's Voltron's versus Col Cloverfields. We have to go see this." Uh, and I actually ended up writing a comic in which I was able to use Voltron's versus Cloverfield yeah. as the as the as the title of something because uh, it was a Guillermo del Toro satire called The Shape of Elvira, which coincidentally I think my the, second one, sorry. The trade the trade of Shape of Elvira is coming out soon. I have uh, Elvira versus Rinson Price coming out, so you should order sixty thousand copies of that from your local comic book store. Just it's all it's all escalation, wow. escalation. Uh, but the simple thing, my website is uh, davidavalonefreelance.com. Uh, buttons there will take you to the various Instagrams and Twitters and Facebooks is, 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 and uh, my Amazon author page. And I think I even have a Goodreads author page, which seems just. Awesome. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Oh, nice. Skate more skateboard battle. <laughs> oh, wow. yes. for, for those listening at home, <laughs> a the skateboard page from Victoria's Comic <laughs> and to Captain America. Going girls. And yeah, I have my deep, uh... deep, deep in the background behind <laughs> me. I don't know if you can see it right now. There. A skateboard. Uh, of Miyazaki, a character from the radically re rearranged Ronin Ragdolls. <laughs> this was the first skateboard I, I ever had. It, well, you know, th th this was the deck, and so I went and re uh, they they put out like an homage deck to it, and so I went and rebuilt it. It has the old, uh, you know, the old like late '80s slime ball wheels on it, and uh, yeah. nice my independent okay. trucks. This is like an old school fucking skate. That's yeah. big. It's a, yeah, wild. But anyway, thank you, uh, Omar and Victoria, for joining us on this episode. I believe the thirty-second episode, possibly, of the writer. Wow! Film. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank, thank you. you. See you. Thank you. Take care.
If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.